Hey, um, if you follow the news, which I hope you don't do too much because it's still like um, the, the fear sells and the negativity sells and it uh, can get really depressing. But if you do follow the news, you'll see there's some guys over in Europe fighting about uh, land somewhere near Crimea. And we're all a bit uneasy because they're talking about like tactile nuclear weapons that we can just drop a little nuclear bomb in and wipe out just a thousand people or something instead of a hundred thousand people. And then this past week, um, our good friend Kim in North Korea was shooting missiles uh, over to South, near South Korea, and of course they were retaliating. And uh, all of this is happening leading up to this day, which some refer to as Remembrance Day Sunday. Um, in our tradition, we talk about this as Peace Sunday. And I thought I would just lead us through a time of prayer uh, for peace. And uh, even still today, we're still struggling with how to get along uh, and focus on the things that are important. So I would invite you to pray with me before we move into our sermon time. Let's, as God's people, pray because it's not enough to just, you know, hope that things get better. And we can go out and be peacemakers. And I love these buttons from Mennonite Central Committee, uh, an organization that we belong to, which says to remember is to work for peace. And so it's one thing to recognize that we need peace. It's another thing to be peacemakers. And part of, I think, the act of working towards peace, um, as much as we forget about it, is to pray. And so I would invite you to pray with me as an act of peacemaking and then to use those prayers to guide us as we go into this world. So, Father, on this day of memory, we gather to sing and to pray. We remember the past and we look to the future. On this day when the guns once fell silent, we come before you, God, seeking your peace. On this day of hope in the face of terror, we come before you, God, praying with all our hearts that you are a God who helps in ages past and you are our hope for years to come. Open our eyes and the eyes of the nations to find a different path through the disagreements of life in this world. In this time of story, song, and prayer, may we be recommitted to being people of peace, true peace. May we catch a vision of how the world could live together. And so we echo the old prayers. Make us channels of your peace. Let there be peace on earth and let it begin with us. Gracious Lord, we dream of a world free of poverty and oppression, and we yearn for a world free of vengeance and violence, and we pray for your peace. And when our hearts ache for the victims of war and oppression, help us remember that you healed people simply by touching them. And give us faith in our ability to comfort and heal bodies and minds and spirits that have been broken by violence. When the injustice of this world seems too much for us to handle, Help us to remember that you fed 5,000 people with only five loaves of bread and two fish. And give us hope that what we have to offer will turn out to be enough too. And when fear of the power and opinions of others tempts us not to speak up for the least among us, help us to remember that you dared to turn over the tables of the money changers. And give us the courage to risk following you without counting the cost. 
and we, we feel ourselves filled with anger at those who are violent and oppressive, help us remember that you prayed for those who killed you and give us compassion for our enemies too. When we tell ourselves that we have given all we can to bring peace to this world, help us to remember your sacrifice. And give us the miracle of losing a little more of ourselves and serving you and our neighbors. Walk with us, Lord, as we answer your call to be peacemakers. Increase our compassion, our generosity, and our hospitality for the least of your children. Give us the courage, the patience, the serenity, the self-honesty, and the gentleness of spirit that are needed in a world filled with turmoil and terror. Let there be peace on earth, and let it begin with us. Amen. I'm grateful for, um, sometimes I pray extemporaneously with you. Uh, sometimes I pray set prayers and, and I write prayers. And today was just some prayers that I uh, was looking at um, from my Mennonite brethren, uh, denominational friends, and I appreciated those this morning. So not far off of this sense of tension and violence and conflict is today's story that we're looking at as we walk through this uh, teaching in Luke. So we're in a series called Not What You Think. Just when you think you have faith figured out, Jesus helps you understand. It's not always what you think. And we're looking at Luke chapter 11 and 12. So to set the scene um, for you, I want you to think about uh, in the news in the last year or so, you might have been familiar with this thing called the Freedom Convoy. And some of the angry crowds that were gathered at, uh, in Ottawa downtown and the, the tension that created and the conflict that created and the difficulties that created. Or think about Capitol Hill riots, and some of that is in the news recently as they're doing the, um, the inquiry into exactly what happened and everything that went on. I guess that's the Freedom Convoy as well. And there's something that happens when people are frustrated and angry and there's a crowd that begins to grow. I want to show you this picture here of this crowd. Because I'd like this to kind of help you visualize what is going on as we begin to read the passage that we're going to look at today in Luke chapter 12. This is actually um, something going on in Spain somewhere. And I, for the life of me, I can't remember what it is right now. But there's some people here and there's a police presence and they're getting a little bit frustrated. And can you feel the tension in that picture? That all it takes is one small thing to set everybody off. And when there's a mob mentality, what happens is the ideas of the individual seem to be superseded by what's going on in the crowd. And people kind of lose their ability to be the individual. And the crowd mentality takes over. And this is, I think, helpful as we think about the passage that we're looking at today. Jesus is with a crowd of people that's growing because he healed this guy who couldn't speak and gave him the ability to speak. And then people are arguing about what's happening. And then he begins to challenge the crowd in their behavior, in their thinking, as we go through chapter 11. He challenges uh, the religious leaders that are present there. And of course, they're partly influencing the crowd. And the crowd is continuing to grow as this kind of 
tension and conflict and head-to-head is going on between Jesus and these religious leaders and the people that are followers of these religious leaders and the people who are following Jesus. And the crowd is growing and the tension is getting stronger and stronger. And it feels like it's like if somebody threw a match in there, the whole thing would just go boom. Let me read for you from Luke chapter 12, verse 1. Because this is carrying over from chapter 11 and everything that I just described. And then Luke writes this. Meanwhile, the crowds grew until thousands were milling about and stepping on each other. Can you visualize that in your mind's eye? There's... There's a lot of animosity and there are a lot of people. And in the midst of this, Jesus turned first to his disciples and he warned them, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, their hypocrisy. The time is coming when everything that is covered up will be revealed and all that is secret will be made known to all. And whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light. And whatever you have whispered behind closed doors will be shouted from the housetops for all to hear. Dear friends... Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot do any more to you after that. But I'll tell you whom to fear. Fear God, who has the power to kill you and then throw you into hell. Yeah, he's the one to fear. What's the price of five sparrows? Two copper coins. Yet God doesn't forget a single one of them. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. I tell you the truth. Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, the Son of Man will also acknowledge in the presence of God's angels. But anyone who denies me here on earth will be denied before God's angels. And anyone who speaks against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when you are brought to trial in the synagogues and before rulers and authorities, don't worry about how to defend yourselves or what to say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what needs to be said. So in these first two verses, here's Jesus saying, in the midst of this crowd, beware the yeast of the Pharisees, their hypocrisy. And I love it. I think Jesus has reached his point where he's like, I've had enough of this. I've had enough of the one way like this and another way like that. And if you read through chapter 11, he's just calling out uh, this group of people on their hypocrisy. You know, you put all these demands on people and you refuse to lift a finger to help them. You expect one thing of them and you have another way for yourselves. Or even the things that you expect of them, you can't do yourself. You're forgetting the important things. And on and on that list goes. And then in the midst of this growing crowd, this is a public meal that's happening. He's been invited to a meal. And at the meals we talked about last week, he's a terrible guest. And, of course, we just said we need to stop treating Jesus like he's the guest at our dinner party. He's not the guest. He's the host. And we are his guests. And then the crowd is growing so that people are fumbling over themselves, trying to get in closer to hear what's going on. And the heat's being turned up drastically. And Jesus is warning them about 
the hypocrisy. And I find it fascinating that Luke seems to be quite comfortable with allowing his readers to sit with the tension of this moment. Because following Jesus is wonderful. It's skipping through the daisies and enjoying life every day as sunny and happy and warm. And of course I'm being silly. And sometimes life is difficult and bad things happen to us and we wrestle with our faith and where God is. But I don't think that's what this is dealing with. This is dealing with the conflict that Jesus has with the patterns and the systems and the paradigms and worldviews of that world and of this world. And he's got a bunch of followers with him who are part of the crowd where the animosity is growing. And there's massive tension going on. And I think Luke wants us to feel it. And to wrestle with what's going on. And in the midst of this, in the midst of this huge crowd, Luke tells us in verse 1 that he turned to his disciples. I love this image. Can we just go back to the picture, Danielle, that's, that I had at the beginning? So I want you to visualize this. And in and amongst this, maybe somewhere near the front a little bit, is, um, is the followers of Jesus. And we'll just pretend, you see the policeman in the door with the yellow vest and the guy in front of him with the white hair? We'll just make him Jesus for a moment. And he turns to some of his followers who are in this crowd, and he begins to teach them. And he talks directly to his disciples to his followers. And there's this cool thing that goes on in Luke chapter 12 here, and it even starts in, in Luke 11. And it's that Jesus is addressing the crowd and his followers in the midst of the crowd. So let's go back to the next slide, and let's look at um, these verses here, where Luke has throughout this chapter, Jesus is talking first to the crowd. And then in the midst of the crowd and the tension and the conflict, he turns to his disciples and says, okay, so here's a learning moment for you. And then he goes back to the crowd and he addresses the crowd and he talks to the crowd, to everybody that's out there. And then he turns back and he says to the disciples, okay, now let's carry on what we were talking about and learning about. And then he goes back to the crowd. And then he turns back to his disciples. And I love what's going on here because the learning of his followers is happening in the midst of all this conflict, in the midst of this huge group of people Jesus is helping his followers learn what it means to follow him. And he's inviting them to follow him in the midst of the conflict and the tension and the heat. When there's great opportunity for a lot of uncertainty. And as I'm reading through this chapter and as I've been sitting with this for a long time now, I've been pondering and wrestling how much discipleship happens in the public spheres of life and not just 
in the privacy of our homes. And I'm kind of left asking the question of myself, you know, if, if I'm looking at what's more important, personal learning and discipleship or doing it together in daily life? And I wonder what you think. How do you respond to that question? What's more important? The learning that we do by ourselves or the learning that we do together with Jesus when we're in the crowd? I'm not sure I have an answer to that question. It's just something that I've been thinking about as I was reading through this. Because I see Jesus going back and forth and, it, and it's fascinating to me that in the midst of this huge crowd, he just turns to his disciples and says, okay, here's a learning moment. So let's, let's talk about this. Let me share this with you. And as you read through, if you're reading through, um, sometimes when you, in English, when you're reading the word you, we tend to personalize it because we're a very individualistic culture. But as you read through the passage, often the word you, the second person, is in the plural, not in the singular. And so as you're reading through this, you'll see even, even the verb tense change from second person singular to second person plural and back and forth, and then the crowd and the disciples. And there's this wonderful, even attention in how we learn and how we grow with Jesus. And then there's a couple defining moments in here that I, that I wanted to pull out for us. I love that Jesus turns to the disciples and he just says to them, beware the yeast of the Pharisees, their hypocrisy. Have you ever used yeast? I decided not. Actually, Claire made pizza uh, this weekend. She's been doing that for over 20 years. It's a, kind of a tradition of ours. We make pizza. And when I say we, usually that means Claire's making pizza. And uh, um, I like to do the toppings, but I leave the dough stuff. But anyway, she, you know, you just take this little bit of this. It just looks like gravel to me. And you drop it in some warm water, and it just goes nuts. And you throw that in with some flour, and it just goes everywhere. It infects, it permeates, infiltrates every bit of the dough. And Jesus is saying, the hypocrisy that I've been experiencing is like that. It just infiltrates, penetrates, infects everywhere. And so he says to his disciples, you know, you got to keep chapter 11 in mind here and what's going on in chapter 11. You need to be careful that, that this doesn't happen to you. And that's like throwing gasoline on the fire when the tension's already turned up, <laughs> you know, and he's been going head to head with these guys and he turns to his disciples and he says, now be careful that you don't become like this out here, <laughs> that everybody can hear. This is Jesus, meek and mild, the little baby in the manger that we're going to celebrate in a little bit. And so I'm just trying to help you visualize and experience this as much as just to understand it. But he says in verse 3 something interesting. See, he says in verse 2, the time is coming when everything that's covered up will be revealed and all that is secret will be made known to all. And he's, he's challenging the hypocrisy. It's going to end. But then in verse 3, he says this, whatever you have said in the dark, who's the you? He's talking to the disciples. 
disciples, followers of Jesus, whatever you said in the dark is going to be made known in public. Whatever you whispered is going to be shouted from the rooftops. And there's this sense of Jesus saying to them, don't think that you're beyond this because you are just as susceptible to taking on the hypocrisy as they are. And there's this, there's this sense as you continue to read through the passage that fear has a lot to do with our hypocrisy. Why, you know, the, the hypocrisy, the, the actual word is to, to put on a mask. So if you look at the etymology of, of the word, it, it means to hide behind the mask. And we're all great at this. That's why when you come to things like this, you know, the last thing you do before you come is what? You look in the mirror. And you just want to make sure that you look great because you know you look great. You just want to make sure the rest of us realize that. And there is a sense in our psychology that, you know, what others think of us matters. But when the fear of what others think of us begins to take over our behavior, that's becoming problematic so that we're one way like this but when there's others that are around and watching we change and we shift and we adjust and Jesus says be careful that that fear doesn't lead to hypocrisy and we're going to actually move into this next section for this defining moment where Jesus is saying to his followers be careful because the hypocrisy that you hate is so easily owned by you I've had lots of conversations with non-church people. Um, and so people identify as spiritual but not religious, but they're not necessarily church people. And I'll have people say, like, you know, they don't, sometimes they're just really blunt and in your face about it. Other times they hint about it. You know, there's just a lot of hypocrisy at church. And in some ways, they're right. No? Like, we haven't been great in the last... You know, when I say the church, I mean the big C church. We haven't been great at giving a great image of what a community that follows Jesus looks like. But when somebody's just going on about the hypocrisy at church, I'm like, listen, it is okay. We always have room for one more hypocrite. <laughs> because that person likely, you know, has elements of hypocrisy in their own life. And I think that the, the beauty is, you know, Jesus will, will receive our hypocrisy and then invites us to consider how we might walk away from that. So this passage is progressing into this section here where he says in verse 4, Dear friends, to his followers, to his disciples, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. If, and he's basically he's saying, listen, don't be afraid of the people that are here that are angry, that are ready to pick up stones. And I can imagine, like, remember that crowd picture? You know, the followers of Jesus are kind of like, I'm not sure I signed up for this. And he's saying, listen, all these people that are getting really angry, don't be afraid of them. All they can do is kill you. If you want to be afraid of someone, let me tell you who to be afraid of. Be afraid of God. Because he's the one who can kill your body and then throw you into hell. You're like, oh, okay. 
And then interestingly, it seems like he contradicts himself. Because look at verse 6. Right after he says, fear God, he says, so think about sparrows. A couple sparrows, a few pennies. And yet God cares about those sparrows. And God actually knows everything about you, every hair in your head, every cell of your body. God's got it all. He, he knows it. He knows you. And know this. You are much more valuable to God than those sparrows. So don't be afraid of God. And if you're reading this, you might be like, hang on, wait a minute. I'm, I'm, I'm confused. He just said, be afraid of God. And now he's saying, don't be afraid of God. So what, which one is it? What do you think? Shall we take a poll? You're like, I'm not putting my hand up. It's interesting. And I think if I could, if I could look at this, you know, Jesus is using an argument. If you're going to be afraid of anybody, be afraid of God. But I think he's just using an argument to point something out because it's the, the last part there that I think we latch on to. If God, if you are so valuable to God, what is there to be worried about? And as you read through some of the other followers of Jesus, you'll read about them. The more we grow in God's love, the less fear there is in our life. The less fear there is of God, and also the less fear there is of others. Which helps us in our battle against hypocrisy. John, who was one of the early followers of Jesus, wrote some letters, a guy named John, and we have him at the end of the New Testament, the end of our Bible. 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. In 1 John chapter 4, um, somewhere around, I don't know if it's verse 12, he just says, you know, we, we grow in, our, in the love of God and perfect love casts out fear. And if we've got a fear of judgment, then it just means we haven't been perfected in God's love. And so the idea is the more we grow into God's life, into God's love, the less fear we have, both of God, but also of, of others. And so there's this defining moment of Jesus saying, be careful of the fear that you let lead you to your hypocrisy. Instead, embrace a God who loves you more than you could ever imagine. And then in the next verses, verses 8 and following, he, he kind of brings a second defining moment for us, for his followers. And defining moments are those times in your life when you realize, you know, it's the fork in the road. I can go this way or I can go that way. And I think in the heat of this moment, Jesus is asking his followers, which way are you going to go? When the heat gets turned up, when the battle gets fierce, when... When everything is on the line, are you going to go this way or are you going to go that way? And he addresses the fear that comes with that. And then the second one that he talks about is about acknowledging him. There's a word play going on here in the original language. Are you going to acknowledge me before humanity? And if you do, then the son of humanity will acknowledge you in heaven. And so there's this little bit of a word play that's going on where Jesus is um, helping us realize that the things we do here on this earth now have an impact in heaven. 
and for eternity. And it's a great reminder that we are not people of the future waiting for some wonderful time when we can be with God forever, that eternity happens now. And the things we do now uh, are acknowledged by, by God and have an influence. And these two worlds of, of heaven and earth merge as Jesus shows us God the Father. And from that time forward, we're living in this wonderful in-between time and the now and the not yet of waiting for God's final um, correction of all things. In verse 10, I just want to pull this out. Anyone who speaks against the Son of Man can be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. That's a terrifying verse for some people. And just like Luke wants us to sit with attention and enjoy it, I'm going to let you sit with attention of that verse. And then later today, you can look to the notes that we provide. There's some notes printed outside in the lobby. You can go online where the, on the homepage where the sermon is, and you can download the notes right underneath. And I've actually included a whole excerpt from, a, from an author who talks about that verse. And it may help you as you wrestle with what is going on with this verse. But remember what he just talked about, that we don't need to be afraid of God. And keep that in mind as you're thinking about Verse 10. And some of you are not going to like that I'm not answering that verse. And I'm okay with you not liking that. Because I don't think there's an easy, easy answer to that. I think it's worth doing some of our own wrestling with it. And you can take it up with me later too if you want. Sooner or later, you are going to have to choose how serious you are about following Jesus. And I don't just mean for the first time, because following Jesus is this lifelong journey. And I think the beauty of this passage is that Jesus is creating these defining moments for people that want to follow him. And he says, be careful, because the hypocrisy that you don't like in this world is right at the door ready to have you. And it's often fueled by fear, either of God or of what others might do to you, or in our case, often what others might think of you. So which way are you going to go when the heat's turned up? Deal with your fear your fear of losing what you might think is so valuable. Deal with the idols that you have, which might be yourself or your wealth or your career or whatever it might be that you think is actually giving you the security that you need in this life. Deal with your need for comfort and control. All of these are addressed in this moment with the crowd with the heat turned up. And I think Jesus is inviting everyone who would follow him just once more to hear the words, sooner or later, you need to decide how serious you are about following him. I'm going to uh, invite the team to come up and they're going to lead us in a final song. And it's kind of a song of responding to what we've talked about in this passage. 
And um, as they're doing that, I'm going to invite us to um, just consider that whole fork in the road thing. Because for every one of us throughout our lives, there are defining moments in our relationships, whether it's with our spouse, our partner, our kids, our friends, our business associates, where we have to make a decision. Am I going to do this or am I going to do that? And I think in the heat of this moment with the crowd there, Jesus says, sooner or later you got to be serious about how you're going to follow me. And in some ways, you know, he's inviting us, you think you have a good life. Would you be willing to give up that good life for something even better? Or maybe you think your life is great. Would you be willing to give that up for something even greater? Because that's what he's inviting us into all throughout our life. You think you've arrived, you've got this great thing, and yet the heat gets turned up. And he says, will you surrender more of yourself? And sooner or later, Christ needs to be enough. And that's the song we want to sing. Sooner or later, Christ needs to be enough. We started off by joking about the technology. And actually, while I was standing there, I was texting the people at the back that I'm going to use another slide here. So there is benefit to it. I want us to pray this prayer together as a closing prayer. And I think it's a great prayer to learn to pray with some of the other prayers that we have. But let's pray this together. Lord God, almighty and everlasting Father, you have brought us in safety to this new day. Preserve us with your mighty power that we might not fall into sin nor be overcome by adversity. And in all we do, direct us to the fulfilling of your purpose through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you for today. Enjoy um, the day and uh, just a great weekend, amazing weather, but amazing people. So we'll see you next week.